I am Danika. And I am Myra. And this is the Black Women Healing Podcast. A space to discuss mental wellness. A space to dive into soul care and vulnerability. Here, we will support you on your journey as you focus on your healing. While also giving you the work along the way. Welcome to Black Women Healing Podcast. Hey, y'all. I am here to announce that our book, Let's Heal, a workbook designed for Black women with various modalities by your co-host, Danika and Myra, is now at a storefront. And so the storefront is Urbana Goods. It's a community store that brings an upgraded experience of connecting with the community uh, with small crafting gatherings and workshops and supporting other local businesses by housing and selling their merchandise, such as us. And they even sell some of your typical items from the local convenience store. Like y'all, I literally bought some body butter, hair products, and a cute purse all from this store, just to give you a little example. So when you have some time, check out Urbana Goods. It's located in Guardina, California. The actual address is 1756 West El Segundo, Guardina, California, 90249. You can put it in your GPS, whatever you need to do, but go ahead and make your way there and check us out. Hey y'all, we're back with another episode of Black Women Healing Podcast, and I'm really excited for this guest because this person is from my hometown. Uh, But before we uh, introduce this person, we're starting off with um, a random quote by a Black woman, and we just reflect on it. And so Myra, I know you said you had a quote. Is this something you're thinking of right now? I got to pull it back up. It was a vice quote. It was a quote? I when I had just closed it. I had it. A Viola Davis quote. Oh, okay, yeah. So Viola Davis has a quote that says, my biggest discovery is that you can literally recreate your life. You can redefine it. You don't have to live in the past. I found that not only did I have fight in me, I had love. And I really like that quote. I don't know why I've been called to look more into Viola Davis, especially because she's been talking about just like her navigating life as a woman that's not considered pretty. So can you repeat it, please? I was going to say the same thing. <laughs> yeah, I can. Okay. My biggest discovery was that you can literally recreate your life. You can redefine it. You don't have to live in the past. I found that not only did I have fight in me, I had love. Mm. Yeah. Okay. That's giving me life as a 31-year-old trying to, you know, rediscover what life is going to bring. I love that. Yeah, me too. It's the fight and love part that's like standing out for me, which is like, like they can both exist in the same time. Like it doesn't have to be one or the other. Yeah. Okay, Viola. And all her quotes are like this. So like if ever anybody's having like a down day, you can literally just Google her quotes and they're all similar to that, just in different wording. Like they're really good. Huh. Okay. Y'all heard it. Um, But so let's go ahead and introduce our guest. So today we have Nefertia, um, and she has a master's in counseling and personnel services from the University of Louisville. She is also a licensed professional clinical counselor in Kentucky. Uh, Nefertia serves as a mental health practitioner at a local high school and works in a private practice as a therapist. Come on. Nefertia focuses her hard work on supporting urban adolescents and young adults to overcome mental health barriers, pouring into women and dispelling the stigma of mental health in the Black BIPOC communities. In her leisure time, Nefertia loves being a mom, brunch and karaoke with friends and traveling. 
currently obsessed with Coco Jones music and Sisters Who Kill podcast. So yes, welcome our guests. Thank you. It is wonderful to be here. Of course. And so let's start off because you have so much good experience. Um, but can you define the difference between a school counselor versus psychologist versus school social worker? You can break it down. We can go by each because I know it's a few different ones. Um, but yeah, it's a good question. Definitely. And I'm going to add one into it, a mental health practitioner, which is what I'm currently serving as. Um, so when you look at the breakdown between all these positions, all of them super essential, but different, you know, and unique in their own way. Um, when you are looking at school counselors, especially um, with our older young people, we are looking at future planning. We're looking at what classes they're taking. We're looking at scheduling. We're looking at balancing social, emotional, and um, academic supports. So that is the hub that a school counselor lives in. They live in between those three spheres. That's social, emotional, and academic support. Um, as a mental health practitioner, I currently get to serve strictly within that social emotional sphere I have nothing to do with academics which is a huge relief because uh sometimes young people just need pouring into they just need you know kind words and they don't want it to have any reflection or ramifications on um their academics I get to deal strictly away from any type of um behavioral consequences I don't live in the punitive world at all so I really love that as a mental health practitioner, I get to um, run a comprehensive school mental health program. So that includes mental health interventions for all students on every um, tier, um, passive school-wide things that we are doing down to um, groups, specialized groups for young people that for instance, who might be experiencing grief, um, boys groups, girls groups, uh, high achieving groups, anxiety, mm. things of that nature. And then I do provide a lot of one-on-one -on -one support too. I am also consistently um, doing crisis-related interventions, threat assessments, um, mental health assessments as young people are really um, struggling with things like depression and suicidality. And then also just, you know, um, supporting the adults in the building as well with mm -hmm. things um, that contribute to, you know, positive culture and climate okay. for um, adults in the school and making sure, you know, that we are taking care of ourselves too. Education is a lot. Times are changing. Young people are changing. We are evolving. And, you know, we have to keep up with the times. And then also, you know, just imagining all the things that we come into school with from home, from our personal lives, from being a mother, from being a wife, all these things. So making sure that we are taking care of ourselves um, because you cannot pour from an empty cup. So making sure that we are our best so that we can, um, you know, groom our garden and make our young people the best that they can be as well. When we are looking at school psychologists, they are dedicated to 
they mostly live in the ECE sphere, um, exceptional child education, where they are looking at the ways that different diagnoses and learning disabilities contribute to the academic well-being of a student. Um, mm -hmm. In all these ways, all of us are looking at the ways that we can pour into young people and help them to overcome the hurdles that they're experiencing um, in education. So when we are looking at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, our young people cannot reach the highest levels of self-actualization if they are experiencing um, sort of detriments in you know just physical safety making sure they have the food the resources that they need mm -hmm. um making sure that they feel a sense of love belonging safety making sure that they have a sense of self-esteem um and they can you know picture where they're going in their lives all these things are super important so when we are looking at a psychologist they're looking at the ways that some of our young people think exceptionally and supporting them and bridging the gap to make the education world an equitable sort of platform for them. So what do we need to support young people with ADHD symptoms? What do we need to support young people with anxiety, with mild mental disabilities, things of that nature that might be sitting down with them one-on-one, -on -one, um, you know, being a test prompter, that means working with families, working with outside agencies, um, speech therapists. There are an array of resources that school mm -hmm. psychologists bring into the arena that are super important. And then school social workers. Um, this is where we have like our family resource center, youth service center coordinators, homeless coordinators. Um, and they are also making sure that students have those, you know, sort of bare minimum resources, abilities, um, as a foundation where they are better able to, you know, think and focus on school. Yeah, well, thank you so much for breaking that down. Like, like you most definitely was able to pinpoint like the differences because I think sometimes we do, we group it all together. Mm -hmm. And I get it because the umbrella is helping the students, but it's Definitely. coming from a different like perspective, each one of yes. them. And even Very today- different. Yeah, even today, like I was like, oh, like I, th I thought she was a school counselor, but mental health practitioner, like the fact that you do get to like take that piece out of it and get to focus like mainly on their mental wellness in general. And it doesn't have to be, like you said, tied to academics. I think that is huge and it is different. So thank you so much for explaining that. Yeah, definitely uh, supports academic, you know, and mm -hmm. I do, you know, talk to teachers when I'm supporting young people on a one-on-one -on -one level, I'm able to um, sort of vouch for them and explain to different teachers because, I mean, understandably, as a teacher, I used to be an English teacher. My focus is to make sure that these students are, you know, knowing their Latin roots, ready for ACT, you know, they have all their verbiage and stuff. I'm not so busy and worried about what they have going on at home, but in order for... um it's just really important to have like a mental health practitioner as a barrier and a school counselor access way to just sort of as a barrier and a mediator to um, help all school staff understand, you know, that, I mean, they say that kids are getting softer these days. We're going soft on kids, you know, they have excuses. They don't like to work hard. Um, but 
as a young person, it is really, really hard to experience adultism. And, you know, almost seem like at times adults are, you know, just able to throw you to and fro. You know, you have to be just a victim to your situation. There's nothing that you can do about it. So I really enjoy being an advocate for young people in that way and making sure that everyone understands, you know, that, and that's why I call them young people because they are little humans. They're not kids. You know, they have a sense of autonomy. They know that some of the things that would be great for them. They know what they like. Um, they know, you know, when you are hurting their feelings or when they feel disrespected. So making sure that they have an advocate and then also me being able to develop self-advocacy skills within our young people is really important to me. Um, I am a certified school counselor in Kentucky also, so I can work either job, but I love the space that I'm in with um, being able to work and devote, you know, like I said, my heart work to supporting um, young people within schools in the mental health sphere. Yeah, most definitely. We're curious about the rules and ramifications around involving parents in the matter of students. This is a loaded topic. Um, I think it's more I, about like consent and things like that. Definitely. And I think that sometimes this is where, you know, you have to question ethics and then have to balance that with, you know, what you know in your heart as a person and as a therapist to be the right thing. Um, so we love to involve parents, um, ethically parents should be working, you know, as a, um, support whenever any type of therapist counselor are working with students, because it's sort of like, you know, code switching, we can pour and pour and pour into our young people at school, but when they go home, a lot of that switches off. They turn into a different person. Um, also, you know, you have to put your best foot forward and present the skills that will support you in the space that you are in. So you can be smart, you know, you can be talented in um, all these ways at school. But if when you get off the school bus at home and you're walking through your neighborhood, you have to be tough. You know, you have to protect yourself. You have to have your guard up all those things are super important. So whenever we're talking about working with parents, it's ideal that we have supportive parents to work with to make sure that they are providing the same, you know, concessions for a student at home so they can experience that, you know, 180 degree growth. However, a lot of times, uh, especially when we are working with black and brown students, a lot of parents are still stuck in their ways and, you know, stuck in the sort of generational traumas that we have experienced as black and brown people. Um, a lot of parents do not want their students to see therapists, to see counselors. Um, we still live by the code, what happens in this house stays in this house. So, you know, students don't feel like they can show up authentically whenever they are talking to um, a counselor at school. They are stumbling over their words or, you know, they'll only go so far because they do not want to reveal a lot of the things that are going on in the household. Um, also experiencing a lot of parents who are combative um, with utilizing 
psych drugs as basically another support or another layer of, um, you know, protection for young people, especially when we're looking at anxiety and depression that are debilitating in the academic space. So if I have anxiety to the point where I cannot sit and be and thrive in a classroom, um, knowing that that is problematic and that psych drugs are just another way to say, okay, well, here's something that we can offer to try to help you uh, figure this out or try to, you know, support us in getting to the point where we can use more organic coping mechanisms to get through the anxiety. But, um, and that's understandable, you know, as black and brown people, we have an inherent and deeply rooted mistrust of the medical system. So we definitely understand, but for all these reasons, involving parents when we are working with students in school counseling or in um, therapy can have its pros and cons. Um, ethically, anytime you're working with students, especially under the age of 16, you do need parent consent. Um, if you plan to work with them on a regular basis, whenever we're talking about working with students on a crisis related incident or some type of um, when they are having a mental health crisis, emergency mental health support, we do not need consent. But in order for students to continue to come see us on a regular basis, they do need some type of parent consent on file. Um, as we are referring students who are experiencing, you know, severe depression, anxiety, and sometimes either passive or active suicidal ideation, we do have to have the consent of parents. Um, yeah. When As you were talking about that, um, I was just thinking about, and I'm pretty sure Myra is too, in California is different, like the mm -hmm. ages. So like yeah. here, the consent is like, it could be 12 years old, contingent upon what's going awesome. on. Exactly, right? Yeah, California, there's is, this is some good things about it in, in some pieces. But contingent upon what's going on with them, um, it could be 12 years old, you know? And so just thinking here, you talk about like 16, like mm -hmm. all the things that can happen in those really important ages. And if the parent is not given consent, then mm -hmm. you can't do anything, right? Yes, definitely. And then even, I mean, to be honest, I really appreciate um, one of our local hospitals because they do allow young people at the age of 16 to consent for themselves for mental health treatment but also it still keeps them in a box because okay say a student has to go in for inpatient because they're uh, experiencing some suicidal ideation they can sign themselves into the hospital they can see somebody while they're there that'll last four days they give them a prescription you know for some type of psych meds for 30 days after that that student is on their own to have to find another therapist and another psychologist. And you can't do that if you are under 18. So um, I think that all that contributes to the sort of cycling in and out of the hospitals that we see with our young people. Also, one situation that's been very heartbreaking to me personally in working with um, high school age students and young adults is seeing that a lot of them do not have parents. Um, they have a, you know, physical parent, their parent is alive, uh, but parents are not willing 
parents are not able, parents are not in contact. We have so many young people who are living independently, either physically living with, you know, friends of a family, an aunt sometimes, an uncle, um, sometimes living on their own. Sometimes they live in the same house with a parent who will physically let them live there, but is not willing to pour into them as parents should do. So in situations like that, when you do not have a parent to sign off who is willing to support you in uh, getting mental health support, it is just a terrible situation to see. And, um, yeah, you know, as you talk about this too, I'm thinking of like this, the question of the themes, the mm-hmm. themes issues with young black girls in particular, but even right now, it sounds like one Definitely. of the things is them not having parents, like they're not being parented. They're independent already. Is there anything else like themes you're noticing? Can I share something real quick? Because Definitely. I think something that a lot of people are not aware of are crisis hotlines for teens. Um, and I only know this because I used to work at one all of high school and that's how I became oh. a therapist. But oftentimes there are these crisis hotlines and they're in different states. Um, I know in California, like, of course we have one, but for those who are listening, if maybe you know someone who might be a teenager or a child who might need some support, have them reach out to a teen crisis hotline. If you're here in California, we have teen line. It's a teen hotline. And they have an 800 number you can call. They also have, have a tech support thing you can use. You can go on your laptop and contact them. They have tons of resources. But from them, I've learned that there are places across the world. There's also the Trevor Project, which operates nationwide. So these are places that you can reach out to. I work for both of these places. I know that they're great. And they offer tons of resources. If you're not able to talk with a therapist, you can call these people and they're trained. So that's an option. I just had to share that (laughs) please I mean I want to know more about what exactly sort of they are given I mean I know you know they're going to try to talk you through your situation in that moment but what types of lasting resources are they able to refer or provide yes on a case-to-case basis so with teen line that was when I was working for example you would be talking to a teen but a therapist will be listening so whatever we're having a conversation to make the teen feel comfortable and a therapist will hop on whenever is needed. So let's say if you're struggling to find housing, we would connect you with some type of housing. If it sounds like you're suicidal, we would send someone out to you because we can trace your phone call and figure out where you are and send people there. Um, If you need food, we figure out ways for you to get food um, and you can always call back. It's not like a one-time thing. You can call back, ask for the person that you talk to because you can ask for names or you can call back and talk to a new person, whatever. But we try to always connect you with resources. Trevor Project is a little bit different in that their focus is more on the LGBTQ plus community, um, but anybody can call and they offer, they have way more money. So they offer a ton more resources, but those are both two places I check out. If you go on their websites, they have big donors. So like I said, they offer tons of money. There's also a Penny Lane that's really popular. Um, I could go on and on. We'll share it in the resources, but these are Definitely. places all over and over for additional support absolutely I love that yeah me too um but so what I was asking about was like these themes these themes of issues with young black girls in specifics like um have you noticed any like working with the young black girls definitely I would say um one of the most prevalent themes that continues to come up is black mother-daughter beef Mm. um 
So looking at the ways that we interact with our daughters, how we parent them differently, you know, than our sons or how the way that we parent them looks differently as they grow older, we no longer see them as, you know, lovable per se. Um, it's sort of giving directives, throwing directives at them. Um, a lot of times telling them they're too grown or they're trying to be grown, not allowing them to voice um, concerns without saying, oh, you have an attitude, things of that nature. And a lot of these same sentiments translate into schools with, um, you know, sort of, I guess what contributes to the criminal criminalization of black girls and, you know, just not being able to express ourselves as black women without feeling like, without others feeling like, you know, we're given attitude, we're angry, we're irrational and things of that nature. Um, but black mother daughter beef is spilling over into the school constantly because they need space. Mm -hmm. I have girls meeting me at my door every day, every morning, every Monday morning never fails, you know, that just need a safe space to be at that moment, whether it's, you know, to listen to music. Cause I'm like, y'all, y'all give me a lot at seven 40 in the morning. I too need, I need peace for a minute. So at times it's, you know, just listening to music, giving them a second to woosah, um, sort of unpack that emotional backpack that they um, are bringing in with them every day. Sometime talking through things, giving them advice. Um, and also I think it's very valuable with me being a mom as well and making sure that we also understand that as teenagers and adolescents, we are just combative at times. We just don't want to do the things or see the value in the things that our parents um, have for us. So given an alternative perspective and making sure that they understand in a moment where, you know, conflict and combative combativeness is not at the forefront and understanding is present. Um, and I think that's really important. With young girls, um, one theme that I've experienced more recently is just hypersexualization and trying to investigate and understand where some of that is coming from. Um, is it just a want or a need to be seen and accepted? Is it social media and media platforms like everyone on the internet seems to think? Is it, you know, sexual trauma? What exactly is coming into play that are making um, some of our young Black girls feel the need to um, be overtly sexual at a young age? I mean, because in reality, it could be, you know, just sexual liberalization and everybody realizing that being a good girl doesn't get you many places anymore. <laughs> so, I mean, just being a support for young people as they are thinking through their own stuff um, and coming into themselves and, you know, trying to reach self-actualization. Yes, yes. Thank you for sharing that. As we wrap up, I'm curious if you have any takeaways for our listeners, and it can be anything that you feel like is important to highlight. Um, I think it's important, you know, just to sort of 
always live in the space of Sankofa and seeing, you know, how we can take what we have learned and reach back um, and pull our young people up, just young people that you are connected to. Um, it's my job. So obviously I'm always doing it, but it's definitely valuable for us as young adults, you know, not as young as they are, but not too far removed um, to be able to pour into the young people in our lives. So whether that means, you know, sending motivational text messages, whether that means just checking in and providing them an authentic space to get some things off their chest, um, give sound advice because they are getting advice from their peers and that is dangerous. Mm. Um, and just finding ways that we can support um, the young people in our lives is super important to me. Um, one thing that you all ask is homework and every good therapist comes with homework. So I think that what I would like to ask of anybody who is listening is definitely if you can um, email you know, DM the Black Women Healing Podcast and just sort of give a quick statement of what you would tell your 16-year-old self, your high school self, one piece of advice, one thing um, that is crystal clear in hindsight that you would like to say to your 16-year-old self, what would that be? And I would like a list of those so that I can share it with the young people who I work with on a regular basis. I thought that that would be really cool. Yeah, definitely. That's a great idea. Yes, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for joining us today and talking about this very needed topic. Um, yeah, we haven't, we've had episodes where I think we've talked about like young black girls are, I feel like we've even had like a, a, a young black uh, girl uh, come on the show before, but to oh. speak about it from like a, uh, a mental health practitioner's perspective I think this is a game changer and I think it's going to be this this episode is going to be helpful for not only the young black girls who listen but the parents and the people who Definitely. are supporting them in general so we thank you so much yes, thank it you. is my pleasure seriously absolutely Hey y'all, hope you enjoyed that episode. I just wanted to share a resource if you're curious about Black girls and their criminalization within schools, because oftentimes we talk about um, the school to prison pipeline with Black men, but we oftentimes will talk about Black women. There is a documentary and a book called Push Out. Um, the book can be a lot to read unless you're like in education and that's your interest. So I highly recommend the documentary. It's nice and short, get straight to the point just to help you learn a little bit more about how Black girls are being treated and the ways that we can start to make a change. So highly suggest that. Donika, do you have anything to share? Um, I mean, just just wanting like these systems to be better. Like even talking to uh, Nefertia about the fact that the age, the consent level is 16 and all of that. And living in California, I think that I have, um, like a lot of times I forget how conservative Kentucky is and like how that impacts like that's why mental health a lot of times is not talked about as much or it's not to be honest in some ways it's not thriving as much because listen to what we talking about that's wow 16 do you mm. know what happens before you're 16 and if your parent is telling you no you can't go to therapy like that's that is just wild to even think about you know so it's just making me think about like we have a lot of work to do and I'm wondering even like in states like that and it sounds like Nefertiti was talking about it about like 
you know, you got to get creative and trying to figure out ways to help those young adults or young kids who are not able to get consent from the parent. Like what other ways can you do it? Can you form it in groups or whatever? Um, but yeah, that's, it's just making me think about the system and how much work is needed to be done. Um, but that's it on my end. Well, thank y'all for tuning in.